This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, When you are old and gray and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true? But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrow of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, Murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. End quote. That poem is by William Butler Yeats and it is entitled When You Are Old. William Butler Yeats was an Irish poet, writer, politician, and also a Nobel laureate. He was born June 13, 1865, in Dublin, Ireland. He died January 28, 1939, in Menton, France, at age 73. And if you've come through the American education system or any of the European education systems, I'm sure you've heard of Butler Yeats before. You've doubtlessly heard of some of his poems, uh, some of them entitled The Second Coming, Easter 1916, The Stolen Child, and also Adam's Curse. All of these are easily found online and well worth a few minutes they take to read and to ponder. None of those are particularly long. Yeats, like most poets, creates works that can be challenging. And why is poetry so challenging to us? Well, my amateur opinion is that poets often employ words in unfamiliar patterns, combinations, or rhythms. If it sounds strange when I read poems, it's probably because they're not written in the manner in which we normally speak. And we all have a standard cadence and rhythm to our speech. People who know you know what you sound like. It's how people are able to, for example, pick up on when you don't sound quite right. Something's off about your rhythm and your cadence. And if you listen to poetry, it's also different. And I think the effect of this is that it breaks us of our natural speech and hearing patterns. And that's frustrating, but it also forces us to slow down and consider deeply the words, in order to understand them. One thing that I've found in doing these now, I forget which one this is, what are we on, number 12 now or so for the podcast? In doing these, what I have found is, if I just sit and read silently a poem, a lot of times I'll miss a lot of it. I have to actually read it aloud to fully understand and comprehend and ingest the words. Which makes me wonder, of course, if I have to do that with poetry, why is it that when I read newspapers or magazines or books or articles, that I don't have to read those aloud? And it's probably exactly what I was talking about before. It has to do with the fact that poets deliberately use speech in certain rhythms and patterns which disrupt our normal thought process. And in so doing, they can reveal deeper truths to us through the forced patience that it takes to actually read them. So that's what I do. It's one of the things that I've started doing when I read these is I no longer just read them silently and try to figure out what it is that they're, the poet is getting at, but instead read them aloud and listen to the words as I say them. We do this a lot in the military. One of the things that we always tell people is 
when you write awards for people. Awards are often presented, as they are in any walk of life, in front of people. You want to have an audience. You want to award people and have their peers see their accomplishments. It feels good. One of the things that we always tell people when they write awards is to read your citation aloud. Why? Because you will hear things that the poor person who has to read the award that you write out loud will have to say. And if they sound weird when you read it aloud, they will certainly sound weird in front of a huge group of people when somebody's receiving that award. But I digress. Yates came up during the time of Irish nationalist efforts for independence. And ultimately, they achieved these long after his death in 1949. He died again in 1939. So 10 years after he died is when Ireland finally received its independence. But he was alive for an important step towards independence in 1919 when Irish nationalists fought British soldiers and the resultant Irish victory led to at least a portion of the country being declared independent. I'm no Irish history buff, but if you are and you have something to say about that, let me know. And as you might expect, for somebody who grew up in these tumultuous times, a major theme of Yeats' poetry is allusion to or direct writing about war. He wrote about both World War I and the Irish War of Independence, and their effects individually, nationally, and even globally. Of course, today's poem is a bit different. It's different in that it's, one, not about war, as many of Yeats' poems are, but it's also different in that it's not like other poems we've covered here. Many of our poems are dark and difficult. And this one is two, but in a different way. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But for now, let us remind ourselves of how we proceed with these explications. We use a format I found years ago on the UNC Chapel Hill website, which has since been replaced, and I'd argue that the new guide for how to conduct a, an explication is far less novice appropriate. So we stick with the old one. I'm certainly glad I printed it at the time. That particular guide pushes us to ask six questions about any poem that we read. And if you commit these six questions to memory, you can do this on your own rather quickly for most poems, especially the short ones. Those questions are, in order, one, what is being dramatized, two, who is the speaker, three, what happens in the poem, four, when does the action occur, five, where is the speaker, and six, why does the speaker feel compelled to speak at this moment? So with those in mind, here is the poem once more. Quote, when you are old and gray and full of sleep, and nodding by the fire, take down this book, and slowly read, and dream of the soft look your eyes had once, and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace, and loved your beauty with love false or true? But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you, and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled, and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. End quote. So with that, let's dive right in, shall we? The first question, what is being dramatized? Strangely enough, when I first read this, again, silently, this wasn't readily apparent to me because I guess I'm a little bit slow on the uptake of themes at times. And as I said, something I've always struggled with, with poetry, is figuring out what it is that the poet is getting at. Reading aloud helps with that. But obviously this is about love. The poem is about love unreciprocated love, which is kind of the dark part, right? Quote, many loved your beauty. Great. So we're talking about someone who had a lot of suitors, a lot of people that were interested in her. And then the line, quote, one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and also the sorrows of your changing face. 
Well, that's interesting. Clearly, we have a suitor here who loves this person unconditionally. But how do I know that it's unreciprocated? Well, later on in the poem, the speaker says that love fled and paced upon the mountains and hid. Why would the speaker do that? Or rather, whomever the speaker is speaking about, why would they do that? I can only assume it's because they love, but were not loved in return. So then the question is, who is the speaker? That's our second question. Well, it very well could be Yeats. There's some speculation that he had an on-again, off-again romantic relationship with a woman named Maud Gone. It's not speculation if they had a relationship. It's speculation if this poem is about her. The poem happened to be published in 1891, one of his earlier poems. And at that time, when the poem was published, they were in a dying segment of their relationship. So... Could it be that Yeats wrote this to Gone about their relationship? I don't know. It's possible. The next question, what happens in the poem? Well, clearly this is a retrospective accounting of a person who loved someone, one of many who loved her, and the speaker is directing her, quote, when she is old, to recall when he loved her, to think about that time, and that he loved the, whoever the speaker is or the speaker is speaking about, the, that person loved her differently than others who may have truly loved her or may have loved her falsely. So when does the action occur? Well, presumably this is long after the lover has fled and hid among the mountains and stars because he was never loved in return. It's interesting, we've talked about punctuation and capitalization in poems before, and in this poem... The entire poem is capitalized as it normally would be and punctuated as it would normally be. The only odd capitalization is love in the third stanza when it says, And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love, capital L, fled. So that would lead one to believe that love, in this case, is the personification that fled and hid in the mountains. Why would love hide in the mountains. Why would it flee and hide in the mountains? Well, the only answer to that, I would assume, is that it was too ashamed to be there unreciprocated from the person to whom that love was directed. Interestingly enough, this poem does not have the air of a poke in the eye, right? It's not cruel. This isn't, think about all the things that you missed because you didn't love me in return. It's almost a desire to be remembered by the speaker or whomever the speaker is writing about as the one who truly loved her. Next question is, where is the speaker? Well, that depends on when she, the loved individual, is reading this. This could possibly be right before the person has fled. Maybe he left a note for her, left this little poem when he fled to go be alone. And she's picking it up and she's seeing it and realizing, oh, wow, that's incredible. Perhaps it's long after. Perhaps it's right at the end of her life when she remembers something from her past. And she picks up this piece of paper that she's had stowed away somewhere and reads it and says, oh, wow, that's right. There was one. There was one who truly loved me. Now, there's a degree of sadness, of course, in the words, but there's acceptance. There's acceptance that, you know what? I loved you. I love you. I love you as you age. I love you truly. I love your pilgrim soul but you do not love me in return. 
for whatever reason. It's never explained to us in the poem. Rather than pursue love elsewhere, I'm going to take my sadness and I'm going to take my sorrow and I'm going to flee and I'm going to hide. And that's how I'm going to live out the rest of my days. There's a, there's a romantic aspect to this. You could almost see this being a, the start of a script for a movie. And lastly, the last question, why does the speaker feel compelled to speak at this moment? It's likely, I would suspect, the realization that he's lost this battle. He's lost the fight for this woman's heart. And perhaps, if she's reading it, he's long gone. And she's only now having the realization, after a long period, that she was, at one point, truly loved. Now, I know I said this wasn't going to be dark, and I don't think this poem is dark. Recall some of the others that we've done about nuclear holocaust and the start of World War II and things like that. This isn't dark in that same way. There's a tinge of sadness, but there's also a beautiful expression echoed throughout this poem. It's a romantic gesture. And many of us have felt this. Perhaps there is someone who, as I read this poem, you thought, the one that got away. Right? The one that you loved, that didn't love you in return. And of course, this poem is gendered, but it need not be. It can be directed to whomever it is that you loved. So, does Yeats' poem resonate with you? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter or X or whatever it is we're calling it these days, and also on Instagram and on Facebook. And when you do, let me know what our next explication should be. And if I pick yours, I'll be certain to give you a shout-out on the episode. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod. Or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks, as always, for listening.